Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. You know, those of us with children who are pre-verbal or non-verbal, however you want to say it, are always looking for ways to communicate with our children. I think one of the biggest challenges is not knowing how our kids feel, what they think, their opinions on anything, um, and it's really disheartening. So anytime something comes up that um, can help my son Skylar in particular with communicating in whatever form or fashion I can uh, learn to understand him and what he needs, I am all about it. So I'm really excited for my guest today, who is a spelling to communicate practitioner, um, and she actually works with Skylar. So for those of you that haven't heard, spelling to communicate is a technique that helps children with autism express their thoughts and feelings through use of spelling. So students point to a letter board um, with the alphabet letters on it, and they spell words and eventually uh, work to create sentences. I'm thrilled to have Kelly Howe, uh, Skylar's Spelling to Communicate practitioner, as my guest today to discuss the program in more detail and also the significant role that motor functioning uh, plays when connecting the cognitive abilities of our kids. So a little background on Kelly. She is an occupational therapist, a Spelling to Communicate practitioner, and the owner of um, Adroit Therapy Services in Knoxville, Tennessee. Her passion is working with clients to access effective communication by building the necessary motor skills. So please welcome my guest today, uh, Kelly Howe. So today's guest on Living the Sky Life is Skylar's Spelling to Communicate therapist, Kelly Howe. I'm so excited for her to elaborate on what I talked about a couple episodes ago about the Spelling to Communicate program, and we're just getting started with that with Skylar. So Kelly is here to dispel anything I said that's wrong <laughs> and share some more information. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Well, obviously there's a ton to dive into for anyone that hasn't heard of Spelling Day like myself. I mean, Skylar 17 and I had never heard of the program. Um, when, when did it start and, and kind of give us your background in therapy and how you found Spelling to Communicate? Absolutely. So I am an occupational therapist um, and I graduated from Milligan College in 2015 and promptly moved to right outside Tampa, Florida, a place called Trinity um, because I wanted to work in a clinic that was doing some things already that were a little bit different. Um, they weren't doing selling to communicate yet, but it was, it was close. Um, and so we, um, Dana Johnson, I worked with her and she had just started a school and we had all these clients of ours who were now coming to be educated by uh, us and another teacher. And we weren't 
able to access what they knew and we were really having a hard time, we could tell there was more in there and we just couldn't get it out. And so we connected with another school in Atlanta that was using communicate. And we went and we got to observe. And while we were there, what we saw was students who were being taught age appropriate academics to letters on a stencil or a letter board to give their answers to these academic questions. And very quickly, it was apparent that they were listening and they were taking in all of the academic information. And these kids had a way to communicate what they knew. And so really quickly, it became apparent to me that I need to shift what I was doing in and at the school at the time to be able to better access what what my clients knew and give them this reliable communication that they were missing. Um, and so that was sort of the beginning of selling to communicate for me. And over time, I have seen my clients who typically have autism, apraxia, really motor planning challenges at the core of it, that when we can work on giving them reliable motor skills, we can also access reliable communication more than just being able to request things. Awesome. So spelling to communicate like the program name and originated in like 2015, 2016 or after that? No, before that, for sure. Oh, okay. um, so spelling to communicate is a program. Um, the methodology is developed by a Vossler, who has um, a clinic and sort of a utopia for for these kinds of clients in Herndon, Virginia, just outside DC. Um, and so she developed the methodology here. But even before that, um, the stencils and the letterboard concept isn't hers necessarily, just the methodology and how we teach it. And what we see with all of that is really the letterboards are a low-tech AAC device. So they're not speech generating, they're not going to have the computer program, but ultimately they're just a form of low-tech AAC. Giving them an option at least kind of similar to PECS so that they can show what they know. Um, so absolutely, I guess absolutely. Let's start with the basics. So when you came to visit us, because um, you live in Tennessee now, and we are not mm -hmm. in Tennessee. <laughs> so when you came up for the weekend to teach me, essentially, and my husband how to do all of this, um, I loved the explanation that you started with. It just really clicked for me um, mm -hmm. with, you know, just the way Skylar is. It, it was a perfect example and scenario of what we deal with that I hadn't thought about and, you know, drawing out um, the different parts of the brain and, and the motor skills and how that plays into it. So can you kind of, I mean, I know you don't have your dry erase board, but can you kind of explain <laughs> that to the lay person? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So all of my clients um, have a disconnect between the brain and the body. And often this is called apraxia. If you've been in speech therapy at all, you've probably heard that term. Um, sometimes if you've done more PTOT, it's called dyspraxia or motor planning challenge. But essentially, it's this lack of being able to plan your movement. And so that disconnect occurs in the brain between having the idea that, okay, I need to go and do this. Maybe I need to go and get a drink of water. That thought is there, but being able to carry it out with the body is where we start to run into issues. Um, 
I like to, when we're talking about communication, I like to give my parents often sort of a simulation where I'll say, um, I want you to answer my question, but I'm going to take away all your fine motor skills. So you can't use your eyes, your mouth, or your fingers, but what color is your shirt? And what happens is parents end up just sort of looking at me very often, because when I ask that question, you are using Wernicke's area in your brain, which is the um, receptive language center to hear and understand my words. And then that travels to Broca's area where you're creating thoughts and ideas about what it is that I've said, in this case, an answer to my question. And that is language, right? So that piece is all happening cognitively as you sit and listen to my question. What would happen next is that you would have to use speech, which comes from the motor strip in your brain. So that language piece is 100% cognitive, but to be able to communicate your answer or communicate what you know, you've now got to engage your motor strip to move the muscles of your mouth, your articulators, um, or some other form of communication, right? You've got to either point or circle or write or um, any of those kinds of skills come from that motor cortex too. And so what we see is this disconnect between speech and language. Um, often we're taught that those are sort of interchangeable when in reality they're two completely different things. Um, and so what my job is as a spelling to communicate practitioner is to teach the body the motor skill needed to be able to show what's really happening cognitively. Um, we see sometimes that when we give a command or we give an instruction and your child or my client isn't able to follow through on that, we think, okay, well, I need to teach them the language so that they know what it is that I'm talking about. When in reality, their language centers are working. They know what you're talking about. It's just being able to follow through on that. And unless we have a reliable motor skill, we don't know what's ha we can't know what's happening cognitively. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's so interesting because when we even just had our weekend session and then every session I've done with him since, to see little things that we've been doing all these years, like saying to him, come here, or saying to him, sit down. And I can see that he knows exactly what I'm saying. Sometimes he will come here and sometimes he will sit down or whatever. But usually, even if he'll sit down, he pops right back up. So until we started changing the way that we communicate to his body, taking the, the brain piece, not out of it, but eliminating things that phrases that we use and, and focusing those on what I need his body parts to do. We change that to, you know, from your direction to, um, you know, hips back, shoulders back, and he plops right down and stays. And I was just amazed at, I didn't think he understood what that meant. I would have thought he better understood sit down mm -hmm. versus put your hips back. And right. I mean, to see the click in his brain and the light go off and instantly he sat down was just mind blowing to me uh -huh. that that's such a huge you're piece right. of it. Mm -hmm. He's always known what you wanted him to do. It was that disconnect between knowing what he needs to do and getting his body to do it. And so by coaching his body directly, you're able to help his body 
do what it needs to do, you're helping build that motor skill so that he can show you that he knows what you're asking of him. And this is where we really run into problems with a lot of my clients and the kids that I work with in being able to follow instructions, right? That's a goal we see very often is they'll follow multi-step instructions. And it's not a cognitive challenge that they don't know what those steps are or what you're asking them to do, but instead a motor challenge where they can't coordinate all the steps motorically that they need to be able to follow through on your instruction. Um, and I think that has to be incredibly frustrating to know what you need to do and not be able to get your body to do it. So along with um, motor skills um, and just things like that of telling your body where to go, um, how does it play into this whole thing with like looping and behaviors that are um, like I've referenced several times on the podcast in different episodes about how we have child gates um, kind of on either side of our living room to just kind of contain the area that he's in. We just thought it was the best thing to do because if he gets outside of that area, goes into the kitchen, he's famous for opening and closing, slamming the microwave door a thousand times. And um, it's almost like an OCD thing where he has to open and close it and he can't tell himself not to. So we tried to eliminate that opportunity by blocking off the room. And we feel terrible about doing that. But you kind of explained to me that breaking that loop is really important. So can you kind of explain a little bit about the motor ability and the looping and the things that they do sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. With motor, there are essentially four types of motor. So you've got purposeful motor, automatic motor, impulsive motor, and reflexive motor. And so often when we have something that we do over and over and over again, um, those kinds of things tend to be impulsive things that our bodies don't really want to do or don't really have control over, but we've done them so often that they have become automatic. So in your example, walking over to the fridge or walking over to the microwave, those are things that likely he doesn't want to do, but we've done that so frequently that it has become a myelinated motor pathway in the brain. And so now when I'm walking that direction, it's an automatic part of a motor pathway that I've already created. And so because there's a lack of motor control and there's a lack of um, control of his purposeful motor, which is what as a practitioner, I really wanna build, then we get caught in that myelinated motor pathway and we can't break out of it. And so something like the gate or something like um, putting bar stools in the way, anything like that that's going to force him to break out of that motor loop is going to help kind of um, stifle some of those things that we might label as quote unquote behaviors that have really just become a part of these automatic motor plans in the brain. Um, what we really wanna encourage is as much purposeful motor as we can get. So purposeful motor would be anything that is sort of a novel task, right? Something where you've gotta think about all the steps. As neurotypical people, if we were learning a choreographed dance, right? In the beginning, that is gonna be something we have to think about every step we're gonna take. And then over time, 
as we practice and as we work on those purposeful movements, it's going to, those motor pathways in the brain myelinate and get faster and become automatic movements. So that six months from now, if we've been practicing, then now I can do that dance without even thinking about it. My body just rolls right through it because I've created this strong motor pathway. And both of those types of movements come from the cortical part of our brain. So our thinking and intentional and logical part of our brain. Whereas the other types of movement, our impulsive and reflexive movement, come from the subcortical part of our brain, which is essentially our survival brain, right? The things that impulsive movements might be, if you've got an itch, you're going to scratch it and you aren't thinking, oh, I need to scratch my face, but your arm just does that and you keep moving through it. Um, or my favorite neurotypical example would be if you're driving and you've got little kids in the car and someone pulls out in front of you and you say something that maybe you wish you didn't, right? And immediately you think, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. But it was completely impulsive and you wouldn't have stopped it if you had tried, right? People correct that using purposeful movement. They try to correct that by teaching themselves to say another word in those situations. But that takes time to kind of create a way around using the impulsive movement. Um, and then reflexive is just sort of our innate unlearned movement. So if I were to touch a hot stove, I'm gonna pull my hand back right away. No one ever taught me that that's what I needed to do, but the survival part of my brain protects me from, from burning myself. Um, and those motor loops often come from either habits that were once useful to us, once some sort of communication, but now our myelinated motor pathways, and even though they're not useful anymore, are still happening, um, or their impulsivities that we just fall into and it's created this motor pathway in the brain. I think that's what's so frustrating for a lot of parents listening, I'm sure too, is that, um, you know, my typical response um, is to say, no, you know, stop doing that. Don't open the microwave, stop touching that, or whatever. And he doesn't, he ignores me seemingly and I'm irritated and then I get more mad because he's not listening and he's, you know, I'm saying no and doing all these things. Um, but until, you know, I talked to several other parents and I just had Karen on um, a couple weeks ago um, is also one of your clients. Um, but, you know, she was explaining to me too, that until her, her son was able to spell, he was able to then communicate like, listen, I, you know, in our case, I did not want to open the microwave. Trust me, I did not want to do that. I could not stop my body from doing it. I promise I'm not being naughty. I'm not trying to be a, you know, a pain in the butt. I just, um, I can't stop myself from doing it. So, um, you know, getting, I guess, into what actually spelling to communicate is and the program, um, those are so many of the things I'm hopeful for that Skylar can then tell me, you know, listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, I need you to keep those gates there because I can't control myself yet. I'm not mad at you. I don't, I know that you're not, you know, being mean to me Absolutely. by blocking me off. So I hope he says that. <laughs> Just yeah. Don't. And that's exactly, I mean, what I have even coached you in, right. Is that it feels mean because it feels like it's limiting what he quote unquote wants to do. But in reality, his brain and body aren't as connected as they need to be for him to purposely move through executing what he actually wants to do. And so he does get stuck in motor loops where 
that's not what he wants to do. He doesn't want to be walking around the kitchen, opening the fridge, opening the microwave. That's not functional for him. That provides no real entertainment for him, but he can't stop himself. So what feels like being mean and blocking it off with those gates is actually helping his body not move through those loops and not get stuck in sort of this impossible pathway that he can't break out of. Um, you're in, in all reality, supporting him being able to be in more control of his body because he's not going to naturally fall into those motor loops. Um, I think breaking loops is so important. And loops are sort of a circuit, right? One thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing. And often what you're talking about, about the frustration of telling him no, at, gets kind of built into our loop, right? And so then there's some more frustration because mom is frustrated and now I'm likely to be even more impulsive and fall deeper into our loop. And so it gets so sticky and so difficult to come out of. And so anything you can do to sort of cut the circuit, right? If you use the gate to keep him from moving through that loop, or if you were to put something in the way that now he's got to move out of the way, now there's a piece of the loop that isn't there. And I've got to purposefully plan through how do I, how do I move this out of the way if I'm going to keep going on my loop. But one thing that I see with a lot of my clients is when we put something in the way or we create sort of this purposeful challenge, those loops sort of dissipate because I run into this purposeful thing and well, I don't really want to be doing this anyway. Like I'm just going to turn around and keep going on with my day. And so being able to cut those motor loops at any place in that cycle is going to be helpful. Yeah, for sure. Well, so um, I guess getting into spelling to communicate the actual, um, you know, the, I hate to say therapy, I guess, the setup sure, of it um, so if, for people absolutely. who aren't familiar. Um, so it's letter boards and um, mm -hmm. there can be different types like the stencils you mentioned or the boards that we're using because they're easier for Skylar um, mm -hmm. are foam letters on board. So uh -huh. can you talk a little bit about the setup of that? Yes. So really with selling to communicate what we're doing is providing a, a stencil or a letter board that my clients use either a pencil with the stencil or a finger to point to the specific letters to spell out words um, and the goal of what we're doing is we want to take communication from being a super fine motor skill to being a gross motor skill the eyes are fine motor, all of your articulators are fine motor, your digits are fine motor, and the smaller the muscles are, the more finesse and more accuracy you have to be able to move them with so that you can accurately communicate what it is that you want. And for our guys, often gross motor skills are even challenging. And so if we're going to ask them to sort of forget gross motor, forget the big movements of the body that are hard and we're going to try to whittle it down to these super fine motor tasks it's very very difficult to get there but if we can instead dial it back and put the big muscles in charge of communication and use those gross motor skills to communicate we can work through that faster and more efficiently so that they have a reliable means of communication and so when we're spelling, I 
typically start with a lesson. I always start with a lesson. Um, and it's sometimes an academic lesson, something like his, a historical event, or I've done the history of beatboxing. I've done how the founding fathers and ice cream are connected. Um, just lessons like that, something interesting that while I read is going to be engaging the brain. And it's always at an age appropriate level. Um, one of the foundational components of spelling to communicate is that we presume competence. Because like I said before, that language center of the brain is fully intact. They're hearing and creating ideas about what they're hearing. The challenge is being able to get that out. And so until I know that they have a reliable motor skill and a reliable way to communicate, I can't know what's happening cognitively. And I would much rather assume that cognitively we are age appropriate and that we're having interactions level um, so that we can, we can truly access what they know. Um, so using the lesson, what I'm trying to do is set up a shared conversation, interesting and engaging for them. Um, and then we can practice the motor skill of getting to the letters that we need to get to by spelling words from our lesson. Um, so as we start, what I do is I read a chunk of the lesson and then I'm gonna either have them do a, a spell only at the very beginning um, where I'll say, okay, we're talking about the founding fathers and ice cream, let's spell vanilla and have them get those letters. I'll, be, I'll hold the board and I'll put it down in front of them and I'm holding it rock solid in front of them. So I'm not moving it, I'm not influencing where they're going, but I'm gonna coach their body to get the letters that they need to get to so that we can build the reliable motor skills they need to later be able to get to those letters again. Um, as we move through it, we start with boards that the alphabet, all 26 letters is broken out onto three boards. Um, and the letters are about two inches big. So it's a nice big target. Visually, we can see it. We don't have to have as much accuracy as we'll need later on, but we're gonna get those letters and practice getting our hands and our eyes to work together um, and getting our hand to cross midline or to get all the way out to the other side, up and down, coordinating those movements and getting the practice we need to be accurate. And then once we're accurate on the three boards, we'll move to a board that has all 26 letters on it. And once you have 26 letters, you can say anything, um, but we start sort of in building with this motor cognitive seesaw. And so when we're on the three boards, I'm only asking known questions. I'm keeping that cognitive demand really low. Known questions are gonna be anything that I read directly from the lesson. Um, so again, I might ask, um, President Washington liked vanilla ice cream. What flavor of ice cream was George Washington's favorite, right? And so then there's a direct sort of reading comprehension coming from the text. And so based on that, then we're gonna spell the answer to that question. But my client knows the answer, 
I know the answer because we just read it. And so I know where he's going to go. I can coach his body to get to the letters that he needs to get to. Over time, as the motor gets easier and easier and we get onto the 26 board and then the motor gets easy there, I can start to really increase the cognitive demand because that motor is easier. So thinking like that seesaw, as one comes up and gets easier, the other can get harder. So with the cognitive challenge, I might move on to something like a, a semi-open question where I can ask um, something that has a few answers, right? Like name one of the presidents I mentioned that enjoyed ice cream in the White House. And there might be four people I mentioned in the lesson that we taught that you had ice cream in the White House. And so now they are giving me one of those answers. Um, but with that, we've got to have all 26 letters, right? Because if it's Washington versus Lincoln, on the three boards, I have to know which board to put in front of you so that you can get to the letters that you want to. And so over time, what that becomes is we work on that body and the motor gets easier and easier and easier. And we get to a place where we can have robust, open communication. And I can ask you, what do you think about the idea that the founding fathers and ice cream are connected? Or um, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream and why? Or if your personality had to be described by a flavor of ice cream, what would it be and why? And so we can get to really know and communicate with these individuals over time. But what it takes is knowing that the motor skill they're demonstrating is reliable. And so as a practitioner, it's my job to build those motor skills and get that practice on the board so that we can ultimately get to a place where they can communicate anything they want. I've gotten so much valuable knowledge about my own child just from, you know, starting spelling to communicate. Um, I mean, the motor piece is a huge one, but one of the most valuable things that I learned day one of when we worked together is, you know, the presuming of competence that he's a 17 year old mind, you know, we're often told as parents so many years that you know, my, my understanding and my belief was that Skylar was cognitively at like a three-year-old level. And a lot of that is because he cannot speak or communicate. And so every little form I fill out, everything is like, you know, what, what's his first word? What was this? What was that? How many sentences can he say? All of that. And it's all zero, zero, zero. And so then they're like, well, he's cognitively at like, you know, 36 months, 48 months, stuff like that. And I'm like, Man, so then, you know, the very first session when, when we were reading to him, and of course he didn't sit still, he wanted to get away, but he was still listening to you. I could see that he was listening to, you know, the reading of the, the information. And then to see him the very first time we asked him to point out a letter, letter S, whatever it was, and he pointed to the S. And I'm, you know, and I've told people that have asked me about this program, like, I felt horrible because I have assumed that he doesn't know his alphabet. He doesn't know what the letter S looks like. He doesn't know his numbers. He doesn't know what's happening in the world around him and all of those things. And I was so humbled because I, I he just, he, he tries so hard and I know he knows what letter to go to when I ask him, like we need letter S, now we need letter A. And, and he does such a good job. But you can also see on the videos that I've taken that his 
hand, his arm, his finger, his eyes, so many things have to coordinate and his motor skill is so low that it's understandable why he stands up in between each letter and gets frustrated because he's working so hard to try to point to one letter. So, you know, just mm. all that together for him, I'm just so hopeful for him to be able to express to us finally some of the things, and this is giving him a means to communicate to us. And that's the, the whole point. I don't want anyone to think that this is a way to get him to speak. He may never speak, you know, verbally. Right. He never may have sounds come out of his mouth, but the fact that he could point to a board and tell me, you know, I don't feel good would just make my life. I mean, complete, right. it would just be the best thing in the world. So, um, um and it's very much a paradigm shift, right? To go from thinking of your son as sort of this cognitively three years old to then shift to, okay, cognitively he's 17. And that, that paradigm shift takes a little bit of time. But when I think about it from a typical perspective, right? If we're working with somebody who is just starting learning to play baseball and we say, okay, this is a bat this is the ball. I'm going to throw the ball to you and I want you to hit it with the bat. When I go and I pitch that ball and the person I'm working with misses, I don't say, okay, I wanted you to hit the ball. This is the ball, right? I'm not reteaching the cognitive piece of that. I'm not reteaching the language of that. What I'm going to teach now is, okay, here's what you need to do. I need you to keep your eyes on the ball. As it comes toward you, you're going to turn your shoulders and pull that bat so that it's going to come through. And so I'm going to work on the motor pieces required to be able to complete that task. And often, again, with the seesaw, right, that means making it a little bit easier. We might start with t-ball where we're going to hold the ball and you just have to focus on getting your eyes there and getting your hands to move toward the ball. Now we're just getting those eyes and hands to work together. And then maybe we use, right, a pitching machine next where we can determine how fast the ball is gonna go. So we can start slow. And then as you get better and better at the motor skill of keep your eyes on the ball, swing the bat, turn your body, we can make it faster and we can get more effective with it until we can play in a game and make contact and be very competent and very skilled at baseball. If every time we missed the baseball, we taught the language of, no, what I want you to do is hit the ball, we'd never get there. It'd be frustrating, and, and, you know, for the oh, child. They quit. They'd say, I, I don't, ah, I can't do it. I'm done, you know, because you're Absolutely. not giving them the tools to, to get better. So yeah, that's a great analogy. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. And for that, sure. the reason we don't do that is that when we teach baseball, the person who's swinging the bat can communicate. That's the only difference because as you said, the, the challenge now is that Skylar hasn't been able to tell you, Hey, I, I know that that's not what I need to do, or I know what you're asking me. I just can't do it. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of, I mean, all the things were connecting for me too. I was <laughs> definitely increasing my, my mind body uh, connection because I kept, you know, over the years too, I've gotten so frustrated because pecs didn't work, you know, just anything we tried didn't work, but it wasn't that 
he didn't understand the pictures because what we routinely would see in ABA and we still see sometimes is that, you know, even if I, you know, I just made all these new packs recently and I have the board and I was so excited because he's making choices, but we've always noticed that no matter how far apart I separate the two pack choices, he generally goes for the one with his right hand since he's right-handed, the one closest to his hand, it's a lot easier. I've laid it on the table and said, you know, which of these do you want to do or whatever? And that's even easier because it's right there at his arm level and he doesn't have to lift his arm up. But, you know, just doing the spelling, I've noticed that cross body anything, if he has to point to a letter that's all the way over to the left-hand side of his shoulder and his body, he struggles because it takes so much energy to hold his finger up all the way across his body and then make his eyes follow it and then point to it. So it's the same thing with pecs. Even if we would, that, that's how we kind of figured it out years ago that um, his motor skills were a little bit lacking in that area because he would pick, you know, between popcorn and juice box and the juice box would be on the right. He'd pick it and I'd switch the pictures and say, okay, tell me again what you want. And then he'd pick the popcorn because it was the one right in front of him. I'm like, well, what is it? <laughs> do you want this or do you want this? And if I switch them back, he'd do the same thing. So I just, it's so hard to never know what your kid truly wants because right. they can't make a clear choice for you. They know what and they that's want. A perfect example of how we have to build the motor skill first and know that that motor skill is reliable, <clears throat> excuse me, before we start asking for things that we don't know the answers to, right? If I asked, okay, I need you to find and grab the picture of the popcorn, then I know whether his motor skills are successful in doing that or not. But when I ask a choice, like which one do you want? Well, whatever he hits, I don't know if that's what you really want or not. I can't know unless I trust your motor skill to be able to get to the one that you truly would like to have. And we see that a lot. I think there's a place in communication, of course, for a lot of different methods, right? We're all multimodal communicators, but all of our methods of communication, whether it's an iPad or a, a different speech generating device or a text board or anything like that requires us to use our eyes to find the thing that we need and then be accurate in getting our body to choose that, whether it's a push or a peeling a peck off the board, whatever it is, it requires a motor skill to be able to communicate. And so if we don't have a reliable motor, so if you don't have a reliable motor skill, we can't know what it is that you're really choosing. So again, it goes back to what I was talking about with the letter boards and starting with those known questions, those sort of things that are reading comprehension. I know the answer and you know the answer. We can build the motor skill that you need to ultimately be able to, when you hit the A, I trust that that's where you meant to go because I know your motor skills at this point are good enough to get there. Um, and get to what you want to be able to sell. And I can get to that more robust, open communication because I trust your motor. So is that the basis, like when you start with a client or anyone that's doing spelling to communicate when they're starting with a client, um, is the most important thing at first to kind of measure their motor level and their motor skills? Because like with Skylar, as an example, like we wouldn't start with the questions because that's, he, he doesn't have the motor ability to be able to spend that long of a time on the board answering the question with a word. Um, so we just started out with, 
um, spell for me, you know, mm -hmm. vanilla or spell a shorter words mm -hmm. even, you know, just to see where he is as far as motor ability. So is that generally how it starts? I mean, not every kid's obviously yeah. like furiously spelling absolutely. sentences. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Nobody's spelling sentences the first day. Um, if you could spell sentences the first day, it's likely that you don't need this level of support for communication, right? Um, but what happens in general is I go in and I sort of assess, okay, where are we? And so in your case, right, there's a challenge in just being able to to hold my body in the chair. And then there are all sorts of other, for a lot of my clients, motor things that we might not even see outwardly, right? Like moving the eyes. There are six muscles that control our eyeballs that have to be able to move together to get our eyes where they need to be. And that's something that just looking at behavior or looking at the way they move through a room, we're not going to really know until we sit down and have a, have a session together. And so I often will start with, okay, we're just going to get some practice in using these boards and I'm going to read the lesson and we're going to start at that really low motor level. So it might be spell vanilla, right? And we're going to start with that. Um, for other clients who it's easier, they're able to hold their bodies up in the chair and hold that pencil up and they're moving their arm pretty well. I will say, okay, um, what was George Washington's favorite flavor of ice cream? And then help them kind of move through that. But all along, no matter what, I am assessing, okay, what are your eyes doing? What is your postural control like? Um, how is your range of motion with your arm? Do you have the strength to pull it up where it needs to be in your shoulder, the strength in your shoulder to pull it up where it needs to be to be able to get to the letters? Can you cross your body? Um, can you effectively get your eyes and your hand across your body? Or as your hand moves across, is it hard to hold those things simultaneously? And so, like you said, with every client, it's different. I'm assessing in that first session where are sort of our challenges and what are the motor difficulties that are going to limit us as far as communication is concerned? And then how do we start to develop those challenges and work on those motor skills so that we can access everything we know? It's funny to see how tired he is after my sessions with him and stuff. I mean, we usually get I think what we get five words last Monday, but um, usually on the weekends, it's like three words and then I'll, um, you know, do another session later in the day or something. But after about the third word, the first word's mm -hmm. always the hardest. He, he just doesn't want to sit and we have to restructure his body and control it to sit down and all of that. But by the third word, he's hitting all the letters perfectly. I mean, he goes fast and he can spell all of them accurately but his eyes are just like dragging, like he's so tired and he takes a nap mm -hmm. now. Like, even if it's just like 45 minutes to an hour, he just looks at us like, I can't, I can't, I can't do anything. I need to go yeah. to sleep, <laughs> which is great that we get a nap out of him. But it's also crazy to me that it's that much he work. Has to work. You just don't know so how much hard. he's putting in. He works so hard. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's sort of like exercise, right? I typically in a session, do some things that in the beginning, I know the client that I'm working with is really skilled in, right? We're sort of doing a warm up, getting that body purposeful, getting that body ready to do the hard work. And then we are moving into, okay, really working on the skills that 
we still need to develop to be able to move even further. Um, and, and it is, it's a workout. It's a workout for the body because for a lot of my clients, it's hard to just hold my body in this chair. And you're asking me to do that and then keep moving forward with other skills that are also hard. And so it becomes a workout all on its own. It is also tiring because we're having to think and use our bodies, right? My clients that have sort of that open communication talk all the time about like, you have to feed my brain. Like I need high level content that's going to keep my brain engaged because when their brains are engaged, they can move their bodies more purposefully and it's not quite as hard. They're not having to fight their bodies in the same way. Um, but yes, they're working so hard to do movements that we as neurotypical people take for granted, for sure. Yeah. Have you heard from several of your clients who are, um, you know, very functional with the boards and our spelling sentences and like communicating all of these things? Have you heard from them to say that there are still things that they struggle with, like physically, like, you know, putting lotion on or doing some things that they know that they need to do, but their body is still fighting against them, even though they have, now they have the communication means to be able to tell their parents or whatever, like this, and you know, I, I, I can't do this, but I need you to not give mm -hmm. up on me, like keep trying. Um, do you hear things like that from yes, them? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it goes back almost all of them. Um, it goes back to that brain body disconnect, right? The brain really wants to have control and wants to do the things that it knows are going to be good for the body and the body fights that. Um, I have one friend who we did a birthdays lesson right before his birthday was coming up and he said that what he wanted for his birthday, he didn't want cake, he wanted apple pie. And on the day of his party, his grandmother had baked a couple of apple pies and he told his mom, like, I want a piece of that apple pie. And she got it for him and brought it over to him. And he immediately pushed it away. And she said, do you want to, what's going on? Like, do you want to try it? And he said, yes, I definitely, I definitely want to try it. And it, then she brought it back closer and he pushed it away again. And so <laughs> then she thought, okay, well, maybe the, she knows they're, they've been working on this for a long time. So she thought, you know, maybe this is a motor thing. And she asked him about it and he said, yes, my body won't let me eat the pie. And so they worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And they finally got it to the point where he could put it on the fork and then he would get it to his mouth and his mouth would just close, just push his lips together. And so then they were having to coach the muscles of his mouth and really work on, okay, open, 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 ready, push that fork in. And so they're working on all the motor skills they need to be able to do what his inner self, what his real person wanted, but his body just wouldn't let him do. And before communication, we would have immediately thought like, oh, he doesn't want it. He doesn't like that. He isn't at all interested in doing this. And what his body said, or what his brain said through spelling on the letter boards was, keep trying. I want to eat the pie. Keep going. I want to keep trying. And so he even, when it's hard, wants to keep pushing to overcome his body, to be able to be who he really is and do the things that his inner person really wants to do, even though his body is limiting him.
those are the scenarios that, you know, I know you and so many other people have said that, that our kids are not, they don't hold grudges and they are very understanding and forgiving and they aren't, you know, mad at us for taking the pie away or whatever. But those are the things that literally crush my heart when I think of all of the times in his 17 years that a situation like that, maybe I put something in front of him that I thought he would really enjoy and he pushes it away multiple times. I'm like, okay, well, I guess you're not hungry or I guess you don't like this. And he's probably, and then he gets up and he's like what I would call quote unquote naughty, like tugging on the curtains or throwing things or whatever. And I'm like, well, you said you didn't want it. You know, just a normal reaction to other people's reaction is all that we as parents have to go on when our kids are nonverbal. So I'm taking his nonverbal cues and body language. Like, I don't want that. And then, you know, to find out later, hopefully when he can spell to me that like, no, I really, really wanted that. And I was so brokenhearted when you put it away because you didn't think I wanted it. And not that he'd be mad at me because he understands, I think, that I didn't know any different. But it's just, it stinks because I think of all the things that he's probably missed out on that I just didn't think he could do or didn't want to do or didn't want to eat. And he's like, I really was. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's all the layers of that, right? Like, it's the layer of frustration that, okay, she's giving me this thing that I really want and I can't get my body to do it. And so I'm frustrated with my body because it won't follow through on what I want. And I'm frustrated that I can't communicate that to her. And I'm frustrated that she's putting it away. And of course that ends up in sort of a show of that frustration, right? In some way, because I'm telling you, if I had all of that inside me and I couldn't get my body to follow through, I would be really frustrated and show that and demonstrate that. I would probably show it a lot more often than we see it in a lot of, in a lot of our guys. Yeah. Sadly, I think we, we try to have as much patience as possible, but there's always room well, for more. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to have to dig deeper and find it because kids right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so hard, but I just, I mean, like any child that you have, whether if they're special needs or not, you just want them to be happy and you want the best for them. And you know, provide for them whatever they need and want. And it's just, it's the, a constant guessing game is so challenging. And that's where communication, um, I know most people can relate. That's where communication changes the game, right? That once you have it, you're able to now make decisions based on what the brain is telling you rather than what you see in the body. And it, it takes time. I mean, that's not an instant switch. Um, as a practitioner, when I went from working with clients and thinking that there was a cognitive challenge into moving into, okay, now I know that I'm gonna presume competence and I'm gonna assume that your brain isn't wanting to do what your body is showing me right now. There are times that as a practitioner, even early on, I doubted those things because it's a hard shift from believing one thing for several years in your case, a lot of years, 17, and then sort of overnight shifting to, okay, now I have to think about all of this in a different way. That paradigm shift is challenging and it takes time and it takes seeing little things like his body being able to sit or like um, your, your 
child getting to a letter that you didn't think they knew or working through uh, a challenging situation to help their body be more purposeful before you can kind of see, okay, it's reinforced that his brain is 17 years old. His body is, is what is the challenge here. And so how can I jump in and be on the same team? I tell parents all the time, if you take nothing else away, you guys are on the same team. And I know as parents, you always feel like you're on team Skylar, you're on team your child, but they're on that team too. And they don't want to do the things that frustrate you any more than you want them to do those things. Like they are having to actively work against those impulsive movements and those motor loops and that brain body disconnect to be able to move through the world at all. And so when you are frustrated, know that they're frustrated too. And you guys are on the same team against the impulsivity and the brain body disconnect and those motor loops and being able to work together to better all of those skills is going to benefit everybody. So would that be your best suggestion? I know that spelling to communicate therapists aren't in every mm -hmm. state. Um, we don't have yeah. one here. Um, but um, if, if they don't have access to a therapist, um, you know, close by, what is what are some things that parents can you know, kind of do on their own and start with if they have a nonverbal child, regardless of the age, um, do they assess kind of their motor ability? I mean, most parents know if their child struggles to do a lot of motor mm -hmm. skill things, uh, fine and gross motor. Um, would that be just kind of a reset to like telling yourself to talk to the body parts and the movement mm -hmm. of the body instead of phrases like come right. here and sit down and that kind of stuff? Or thing, would you suggest the something else? The first thing else? I always tell parents is work at presuming competence. And so assume that your child is cognitively age appropriate and that what stands in their way are their motor skills. And so there are so many things you can do to engage the brain and start giving them information that's at an age appropriate level. So things like audiobooks or podcasts, or documentaries, things like that, that even you can have passively in your home that are going to give them that age appropriate engagement is going to be like a huge relief to your child because now you're with them, assuming that their brain is operating at a higher level and, and they want you to know that. Um, and so speaking to your child as if they are the age that they are rather than the cognitive age that you may have been told that they are. Um, that is the best place to start because what that does is it begins to build that even stronger teammate relationship between the two of you that you guys are on the same side um, and you guys are going to work together. And then absolutely practicing purposeful movement. And so thinking about what are the steps of whatever movement it is that I'm having them carry out, right? Maybe it's, I'm going to carry this dish over to the sink. And that is the chore that this child's going to do. And so I've got to think about, okay, what steps does it take for me to push my chair out from the table, stand up, grab that dish, lift it off the table, turn my body to get it toward the sink and put it in the sink. And so if those things are a challenge, you can absolutely start by coaching the body and talking to those body parts directly. So 
use your legs to push your chair back and then thinking about, okay, ready? We're going to push your body up out of the chair. Push, 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 and get that to stand up. Now we got to get your eyes down to the dish, reach your hands over to it, um, and keep moving through it that way. Uh, and even in times of impulsivity, I see a huge difference with my clients. Um, I have one client who will grab my hair, and I see a huge difference in let go and open your hands. Let go doesn't typically change the situation, but that's an impulsive movement that I know he doesn't want to be doing. Uh, we work together. We're a team. He doesn't want to hurt me. He doesn't want to pull my hair. And so when I tell him, okay, open your hand, he's able to do that. And then we can keep moving forward. What these guys need is that motor support and being able to overcome the motor challenges that they have. Um, the other thing that I would tell parents is reach out for resources. Right now, uh, we have all kinds of resources that are available. The International Association for Spelling and Communication, um, they have a ton of parent resources, videos, blog posts from spellers who are talking about their experiences and blog posts from parents who talk about their experiences. Um, and I always think that is a really great place to start. And then if you want to contact them, they can always point you toward who is your closest practitioner. Because um, a lot of us do virtual work too, because we can't be everywhere. Um, I know I ask that organization is, is actively working on training hundreds of new practitioners this year. Like that is a big push for them. And so my hope is that what I do and me as a practitioner are multiplied all over the country and we start to have more and more communities that do have a practitioner near you so that you can see a practitioner and then practice at home too. Because this is something that communication is necessary across the board. So for me, I love to see my clients and seeing my clients in our sessions helps us build the skills we need. But ultimately, I want parents to be a communication partner because I can't be at your home all the time. I can't be with my clients out in the community all the time. And they need the communication there more than they need it in my session. And so even in virtual work, like with you, I am training my parents on how to how to use the letter boards and how to work through the different motor challenges that pop up so that they can be that communication partner for their children. Um, so reach out. That's yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Uh, but reaching out for resources. Yeah, it's is not, it's, <clears throat> it's not the same as having you here, but honestly, I think starting that way has built a rapport with, with Skylar that he knows that I'm going to do this with him. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of our kids will do what, you know, be one way mm -hmm. at their ABA center or at their school with their teachers and their therapists. And then they come home and they're like, nah, I'm not mm -hmm. doing that <laughs> for you. You're my mom. You're not my therapist, but I think he's, you know, grasping yeah. it. And, um, you know, there's a lot you can see virtually, mm -hmm. you know, you can see his eyes when you're looking at him and you can hear the way I'm talking and you can evaluate and help, help me get stronger as a communication partner with him. So it does Absolutely. work. It's, it's not ideal, but it And a it lot works. of parents have that same assumption that you just said about, well, I don't think they'll do it with me, but 
they want to communicate with you. Absolutely. They want to communicate with you. He wants to communicate with you way more than he wants to communicate with me. You guys have this relationship and what it takes is building that understanding between the two of you of, okay, if I see this happening, what could be going on and how can I address sort of those underlying things, right? Is it his eyes? Is it that he's uncomfortable and he's becoming dysregulated because he is just having a hard time sitting and that doesn't feel good today. And he's having to fight through that on top of having to fight through some other things. And so that's the beauty of training parents as communication partners too, is that you guys are learning to look for all of those things and go through those same assess daily sort of assessment things that when I sit down with a client, I am looking at too and working to see, okay, is today a day when his eyes are really on it and we can keep moving or do I need to be coaching those eyes more? And so it's starting to communicate is absolutely for, to build the communication of our sellers, but it's also for helping families understand what's really happening and how we can as a team be able to build communication. Perfectly said. I love it. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm so anxious. <laughs> I can't wait to do an episode a year from now, yeah. um, hopefully sooner. Um, with, and Skyler can spell out a whole bunch of stuff that he wants me Absolutely. to say <laughs> about Absolutely. the program. I'd so. love to do a podcast. <laughs> That'd be great. I know. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was so valuable. And I really hope that families who are struggling with, um, you know, any kind of communication from their, from their children of any age, that this will give them something to think about, at least the motor skills piece. It was just eye-opening for me. It was so valuable to learn all of those things about him that I wished I would have learned when he was younger. But, um, you know, there's, he's not 90. There's, there's plenty of time. I can still, you know, hone in on those motor skills and eventually his body will cooperate with his Absolutely. Mind. Absolutely. We're working <laughs> so. to build that connection all the time. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the living the sky life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.